And they were coming with their product designers, product managers, engineers, and they were in a situation that was pretty tough. Like let's say they would have put millions in a product, uh, that product wasn't working. They were about to kill it. And they would give us those couple of months to actually save the product and in the same time, coach their teams to work differently. Hey everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. As part of our pursuit of all things PLG, we recently launched a survey about product data and analytics, which will form the State of Product Data Report. If you're interested in seeing which tools, data sources, and metrics other product people are using, please take part in our research and help create a cross-industry report. Enjoy! Hey, everybody. Uh, we're here today with Alexandra Lung, current head of product for Aircall, and she joins us to share both her passion and her story in product. Uh, Aircall, who's recently raised $65 million in a Series C, is a return to the commercial side of product for Alexandra, uh, who has spent the past three years coaching clients on using agile methodologies, applying lean startup principles for product management, and facilitating user-centered design to find product market fit. Alexandra is passionate about building products that achieve true impact and mentoring teams to craft user experiences that solve real user problems. So topics that we really care a lot about here. Um, when I asked her kind of what her biggest goal was for today's podcast, it was to inspire people about the product mindset. And I have to say, based on our prep, I am definitely inspired and I think you will be too. Uh, Alexandra, thank you so much to the to the pod. Thank you for having me, Tiama. We're really excited to have you. So um, let's start off with... Um, Kind of an easy one, but maybe it's an easy question, but I don't know how easy it is to answer. So what does product mean to you? Wow, great question. I think for me, first first most product is, means a big passion. And it's really a way of having a positive impact, like both on people around us, but also on business growth. So even though a product itself is very wide, um, I always think about it as imagining the future and as building it. So I personally love, you know, just the, the mass of tons of ideas and information around opportunities, markets, users, business dynamics, techs. And I, I really love analyzing it all in order to imagine the next product. And then I, I also love the thrill of really building it like Lego piece by piece, uh, building like that next feature or, or product and, and launching it. Fantastic. I think that's something that many of our users could identify with. So if, you know, if product is really about that passion of imagining the future and building it, what's the difference between product versus an organization who is trying to be product led? Like, how do you think about those two concepts? I think they're very tightly, um, they're very tightly connected. And uh, an organization that is product led will definitely be understanding very well the importance of the product and the product teams in the success of the business. And I think it really goes through breaking down those silos between what we sometimes call the business and the product and really considering the customer needs in every part of um, or every part or every team of the company. So really, I think what's, what's very important for a product-led company is to deliver a product that anticipates and also answers those evolving needs of their users. And um, 
And I think those the companies that are really in a product-led mindset, they will um, understand that success requires to focus their efforts on the product so that it becomes the primary means of acquisition, but also retention for their customers, um, also the lever for driving growth, and also a lever that influences the, the priorities for the organization. Yeah. I think that's a great kind of litmus test for yourself, uh, for those of you who are thinking about how truly product-led your organization is um, and thinking about that, you know, primary means of user acquisition or growth. And is the product actually the way that you're achieving that? Um, that's that's a really great uh, kind of a cheat method, uh, Alexandra, for people who are, are questioning with that. Because I think that, you know, and you and I spoke about this in our um, really fun prep. You know, there's lots of organizations out there in the world who consider themselves product-led, and um, our jobs as product leaders is to really help them realize those ambitions for sure. Definitely. So, so one of the things that we like to ask people when they join is, you know, we've got this whole concept of the head and the heart of product, right? Or the passion and the practice, because you know, here at For the Love of Product, we speak to both people like yourself, so influential product leaders, but we also speak to founders of businesses that are really product-led. Um, now, like any good product professional, we have uh, we have some hypotheses about who our guests will identify, or what I should say our, identifies will, our guests will identify with most. Heads of product or CPOs, maybe more with the practice versus founders more with the passion. But I asked you the question and tell us, which one do you identify more with, passion or practice? I think for me it's passion. Like it's it's funny to say this because I'm like I'm very analytical and pragmatical person and I'm I'm very much into the practice side um for for a lot of years already. Uh, but I think I've gotten here and I've become better at practice because of passion. So my answer would be really passion for product and um and like kind of passion for me is also that obsession for the problem and for solving it. Uh, and I think this passion drives really um, an energy that is palpable that you can you can touch and you you can actually um, contagiate people around you. So I think it's passion that drives me. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, you're very passionate about it. Your face, you know, everyone right on a pod, but you know, your face when you speak about it just lights up and um, it really comes through. So tell us a little bit about when that passion started. What was the beginning of your product journey? And, you know, um, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I think it started way back uh, when I was in high school and I started working for different NGOs, like working with different teams to build different projects and products. And I, I, could, I started seeing how all our work was having a meaningful impact around us. And I, I've gotten more and more passionate about this part, but also about the dynamics of business. So um, I actually did an engineering school, but when I finished, I I really wanted to continue with this uh, passion that I started discovering for products and for business. So I uh, started as a consultant in strategy and it was very diverse as product range. So I was working on a repositioning for a new rented car company, for a new business in tourism, a launch of a non-alcoholic drink. And uh, like it's, it was very diverse. Like one day my boss came, uh, like our CEO, and he just put uh, a piece of wood, like raw wood on my table. And he was like, we're going to, um, like we have a client. He wants to export these uh, wooden houses in the UK. I want you to analyze the market, the opportunities and draft a plan so it was it was super enriching and interesting because I was learning tons and I was also being able already to to give tons 
But it was at that point that I also told myself, okay, I want to actually have like my studies in business as well. So that's where like, I actually uh, changed countries. I moved to France and uh, I did my master's in, in, in international marketing and business. And that's where I started working actually as a product manager. So at the time, product management, like I'm, I'm talking like 12 years ago, it was a mix of project management, product mar- management, marketing, communication, like um technical, sometimes some um, more like financial stuff. So a very, very diverse range of activities, but it was also very um, like, let's say educational in my growth because I I was able to do a lot. Um, Sometimes I was working on very technical products and it was really interesting for me to understand all the ins and outs, Uh, sometimes very financial stakes, like uh, modernization of like what will make this really uh, profitable, but always really focused on the user, on talking to our clients, on building something that's going to work for them and for the business and um, in uh, organizing and coordinating uh, from the idea to really getting it out there. Uh, so I actually, in one of my product management jobs, I, I was working on a cloud computing for a cloud computing company, and they were starting to uh, change their strategy towards becoming a, a software company. And they were starting a new division, like a mini startup within a bigger company, which was um, for a SaaS product. So they offered me to uh, be the one leading the product for this division and uh, together with the existing CTO and um, their, their CT- CEOs. So it was super interesting because I got to do like everything from really um, the market, the analysis, the strategy, but also the implementation, building the product itself, building the team. So so we've been actually just learning tons. It was also the first time I was really working on a software product. And uh, I actually, I think that's where I, I really started being very in love with software and being like, wow, I, 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 really, I really love doing this. So after after three years there, I left to um, to a company that was doing consulting. Like I, they were really really strong in methodology, like everything related to lean product management, extreme product development, and and user centered design. So it was a pretty specific kind of. Um, consulting because actually the clients were coming to our offices uh, for really short time spans, like two or three months. And they were coming with their product designers, product managers, engineers, and they were in a situation that was pretty tough. Like let's say they would have put millions in a product, uh, that product wasn't working. They were about to kill it. And they would give us those couple of months to actually save the product. And in the same time, coach their teams to work differently. So it was it was it was super interesting because it was both the execution and the coaching, and we weren't only coaching different teams in something in only on practicalities of the job, but also on communication, collaboration, on soft skills, which are not always easy to um, to drive as a as a change. But it was mm-hmm. also super like super impressive for me as well, like uh, switching to really like very methodologies that I haven't really used before and I was learning a lot so during this period I also started sharing more like I I I was I started actually talking in a lot of different conferences in the U.S. in Europe and um, also a lot of PMs saw me and they came to me uh, and asked me to be their coach and mentor so I started also doing some some coaching and it's it's super rewarding as well. I think it's it's a great way to to share, but also a great way to stay connected to the realities of like other companies, other countries, other other PMs challenges. So 
it's been it's it's really it's been really a cool cool journey. And uh, since since uh, March March this year, I, I joined Aircall um, Cloud 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 uh, Telephony Company. We just uh, raised, as you said, um, sixty five million this year. They they have an amazing product, and they're at this stage where they're scaling super fast. So the teams are growing super fast. A lot of things happening on all sides, but at product side as well. So I actually took the challenge of managing both the product and the design teams here and um, also to just work on both, of course, delivering um, more on this great product, but also um, methodologies, processes, uh, and how do we scale all that in, in the context. Fantastic. So it's such an interesting set of kind of periods in your career to this point. I have a bunch of questions. I know our, our listeners will too. Um, I want to go way back to your, you know, right out of your technical program and your boss puts a piece of wood on your desk, which is just a hilarious kind of image to think of. Um, you know, thinking back on that time and thinking about the way you kind of approach that problem, what, what about that kind of now, now that you know what it takes to be a good product person, um, what was it about the way that you handled that challenge that told you that you would be successful in product? Hmm. I think, I think at the time I was, I was really, really excited to create something meaningful from, you know, basically nothing like a piece of wood, uh, literally. Um, but I think what was actually uh, important is it's the fact of not jumping to creating and really being able to analyze, to take a step back and to see whether it's um, it's a smart way, it's a smart move to, to jump into it or, or, or not. And I think that's, you know, I was talking about passion earlier, but I think it's a mix of passion and that other more analytical side that actually makes us successful. And uh, well, I think a lot of hard work as well, but um, I think it's, it was really that mix of, okay, I'm super excited of building this out of nothing, but let's let's analyze everything properly and let's see how we want, if we want to go and how we want to go about it. Yeah, really thinking about the product strategy and was it going to be successful based on the different dynamics that you know existed, right? Yeah, and I think really a lot of times we're excited by ideas. We all have so many ideas, but um, like we, it's important to take that time to actually look. Okay, so um, are we going to be able to differentiate ourselves? What are our competitors doing? Um, is this financially viable? Um, will this still be in a year or two? Um, just like a lot of questions that are like I'm not saying we need to know everything in advance, but we need a proper like kind of analyze at the beginning as well. Absolutely. I think uh, so often, you know, a vision can be really exciting and inspiring to people, but really actually our jobs often as CPOs is not only to have that inspiring vision that people clearly understand, but to lead by creating strategies that are viable, right? Um, and like you said, there's the different quadrants that we have to assess whether or not this has the the legs to be successful. I think for our listeners, one thing that might be helpful to know um, is that you know, wooden houses, right? This may be very common in the part of the world that you live in, but actually wooden houses aren't uh, everywhere. Um, and it's one of the funny things that, you know, uh, England, it's not as common to have, for example, wooden houses as it is stone. So if you're listening, thinking, now why would a chunk of wood be put on Alexandra's desk to scope out the viability? That's just an insider, an insider tip I've picked up since moving from America to, to the UK. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it isn't, I mean, it isn't anywhere. Like uh, at the time I was living in Romania and now I live in France, like, 
I don't think it's that um, it's that common. I was actually surprised at the time. I was like, "Ooh, we're on house! Like, who would want to?" <laughs> and actually, when you start looking into it, I got I got super excited at the time. I was thinking, "I want to buy one of these." <laughs> I was really I got really really excited and biased by by the thing. I think, but it's yeah. I think it's it's interesting to to put it into context. And sometimes we're surprised ourselves. You know, you're like. Oh, does it make sense? And then I think it, it does take that curiosity to actually try to get there and understand it and see if if it's, it makes sense or not on, on the market. Absolutely. Okay. So then let's jump a little bit further. Um, I love the amount of time that you've spent kind of both being a public persona for product, right? But also the time that you spent doing the consulting, right? Um, and the idea that you and your team were brought into for these products that are basically on life support, right? Only having three months or, or less to save something. Talk to us about the new strategy for success and what it often included. Because um, I bet you there's a lot of people listening who you know, wonder about services like that? And what would the process be to kind of look at their product and see whether or not there's a last ditch chance to, to kind of save it, if you will? Hmm. That, that's a great point. And I think it's like, it usually starts with kind of buzzwords that you hear a lot. And I think a lot of um, things are really in the implementation. And that's why we were actually coaching the teams into how to do it. I think for me, one of the, the main things, and I think that was actually driving value while, while we we're working with um, those different clients, was really the lean approach, like lean product management approach, which is really how can we de-risk our product direction continuously? How can we go really iteratively? And how do we, um, you know, sometimes you have ideas, actually, how do I acknowledge that that's just an hypothesis. Like, let's say you want to build something for your clients and you say, oh, well, we're doing this. Like most of the times are solutions. So I think one of the steps is to say, oh, is there a problem in there? <laughs> or you just have an exciting idea for a solution. And if there is a problem, like you think there is a problem or is there like, you know, like a lot of times we kind of come up with the problem to, to explain the solution uh, and like really write it as an hypothesis, write your problem as an hypothesis and then write your solution as an hypothesis and test it with your clients. I think really um, one of the things that I learned a lot there and I saw it made a difference versus other experiences I had in product management as well was really how do you do proper user research? How do you choose those clients? How do you ask the questions? How do you interpret the information? How do you um, synthesize everything? And how do you take the decision with all from all that a lot of information to prioritize and to go for it? And how to do all that in like basically a week or just a few days? Uh, something that was really interesting is that a lot of times we think that's the designer that needs to do it or the PM that needs to do it. And actually what we were doing is that at those initial stages, which were calling discover product discovery, um, we were collaborating super strongly. Like the, the PM would work with the product designer and would work with the engineers as well. Like, uh, for example, we were involving the engineers in the EU interviews and that made such a huge difference like in in some companies that you have the engineers asking you why are you doing this why is this on your backlog but when the engineers actually hear from one user their pain and their frustration not only they will know why, why it's there but they will be so motivated to solve that problem mm, so through yeah. like simple mechanisms like this we were actually creating that that um, common understanding uh, for the team and also a certain level of motivation for actually solving those, those real problems. 
Yeah. Well, I kind of want to jump to something that I know you are passionate about for sure, which is the whole concept of ideation, um, you know, innovation, user research, right? Sometimes we in the product world have a fairly good understanding of how critical that is. um, And our budgets reflect that, right? But sometimes organizations are still kind of getting started on their product journey and the budget just isn't there for extensive testing. Um, I'm guessing based on the fact that a lot of times your condensed consulting schedule required you to test, you know, and do the, the lean approach very quickly and iteratively that you've got some experience on how to approach this when you have a big budget versus when you don't. So tell our listeners, do you have to have a huge budget to be able to go out and test assumptions here um, and to run, you know, wide scale UX, uh, AB testing, you know, or are there other ways that people can think about getting creative? Yeah, I think there are definitely tons of ways and, and it's really a mindset. Like I, I think for me, this is something that is really important and I'm trying to, to share like the, the messages to, to my team is really about the mindset and how do you get creative around how you run these lean experiments. And I think, um, you know, there's still a lot of companies where um, you're, I hear, I still heard, I heard that a lot in different companies. We know what clients need, like we don't have the time or, or the money to, to test it. So, uh, so I think it's, that's why it's really important that, and not only at the beginning to find ways where you can actually test it really fast. For me, I always think of um, what's the maximum amount of learnings that we can have with the minimum effort. And it can be as easy as you draw something on a white piece, blank piece of paper and you go on the street and you show it to, to a few people. Like it, And it works for all the stages. Like if you just have an idea for a business, if you, your product is already there, if uh, it's, an, it's a new feature. Like for example, there was this um, like a story of this guy that wanted to create um, an app for wine uh, selection and he wasn't sure like if people would be interested or so on. So he went to the supermarket, like to, to his nearest supermarket and he went and talked to the people that were on the wine uh, part of the store and just by seeing if people would like put their hands on their phone and take it out to look and and like kind of download the app that it doesn't exist yet was already like a very early stage sign of um of like interest potentially and um there, there are a lot of techniques and um, a lot of times we think of prototyping i think prototypes are like low fidelity prototypes are quite a good way and it's not very very much effort involved um, there are a lot of other ways, like creating uh, fake buttons on your on your on your website and uh, having people subscribe so that you know with whom you want to test that later on. Or um, it it can be like I know another company that were thinking about their value proposition and they just created three different landing pages with three different Google ad campaigns and they uh, they were looking at the the one that was most successful with their clients. So I think these are all ideas that are like pretty low effort and um, and even like, you know, even A-B testing, it can be done pretty, pretty fast. Like you wouldn't need to develop too many things depending on, on what you're looking to learn. I think what's really important is to think what's your hypothesis and what you want to learn. And then really think, how can I do this fast? If you don't have to write code, that's even better. Then it depends if you want to have more validation at scale, then maybe more effort will be needed. Right. Yeah. And kind of really having a clear understanding of when you want to spend that versus when you can use kind of a lower cost approach that still, as you say, gets huge amount of learnings, correct? 
Yeah, and you can hack your way into it in even a couple of days with your team. Like you can, you can definitely start learning something, and that will already start the risking. Do you have any examples of uh, time you or your teams have hacked your way into some type of learning uh, that you're able to share without uh, exposing anything to um, confidential? There was a lean experiment that I found really like, and now looking back, it's it's one I think one of my favorites. We were working for um, like a dashboard actually, a user dashboard, and um, we were very early stage of rebuilding this, and we weren't really sure what information our users wanted there and um, what what which one would be more important or not. So at the beginning, we were thinking maybe we can build a prototype with some assumptions and then like we'll iterate with other prototypes and so on. But actually what we did is that we created like some little, uh, we just wrote on different pieces of papers, different inf- information that we would put there. And we told our users after a few questions of discovery, we told our users to create their ideal um, our ideal dashboard homepage and they could also kick out stuff or put in stuff. So actually this made us learn way more than with a, with a simple prototype because we learned what info they wanted in. They added info that we didn't think of before and they even created the information architecture on the page for us. So it was like really a big, big amount of learnings in only one uh, one set of tests, which was really quick in a few days. And it kind of got it started with so many learnings. That's fantastic and very inspiring because most of us have users that we can go to, right? And I think so often we we forget, um, you know, that we can co-create with those users as well as just listening to them, right? To hear, um, we can actually have that two-way relationship as well. Definitely. And I think sometimes you can even think like, are they, um, for example, in incomes like Airco, where we hire a lot of people right now, like maybe some of the new joiners can be clients in some cases, maybe we can test with them. They don't know our product well enough yet to be biased. And they, they are like super happy to, to talk to us as well, super fast. So it is kind of thinking out there, how can we reach clients and test really fast? Fantastic. So, I mean, it sounds like your journey and um, I'd love to, after this question, I'd love to hear more about where you are today, but it sounds like your journey has been very interesting and, you know, progressively you've gotten to take on more, you know, exciting challenges, more exciting opportunities. You know, have there ever been any bumps along the way, right? We like to talk about the good and the bad here. So any bumps that, you know, or challenges that you encountered um, that you think others might, you know, empathize with or learn from? I think one of the challenges that I that I kind of felt pretty early was to be a woman in tech. Like since my tech school, it was I was like girls and women were kind of a minority, and then I started working in tech companies. I, I was working mostly with men that were half uh, like double my age. And I think a lot of times there was a lot of uh, work to actually gain the legitimacy and. Um, uh, just the credibility as well. And um, I think a lot of times I followed, I was working really hard for it. And I think it's like now looking back to to some extent, like for example, in one of my companies, I I was I have gotten so uh, like some knowledgeable on the really super technical part that I was actually um, coaching CTOs in the US and in Europe on technical aspects of their products. 
Um, and I would be answering like 95% of the questions with no technical person next to me. And then I was like, all this while doing product actually. And I think at the time I was like, okay, it's good to know my product in and out and to, to really show that I can nail all these technical details as well as any engineer there. But actually like that afterwards looking back, you know, I'm kind of started sometimes asking myself, okay, like how far do you actually need to go for it? And, and I think today I... I, I can still see that like a lot of times when taking a new job, for example, um, people with knowing or not knowing me, they, they might just say, okay, she's not very technical. She might not understand everything. Like it's just assumptions that just come. Um, and I don't know how actually like, you know, if it's just related to like, I, I, at the beginning I was thinking I'm young, like maybe now I'm less, <laughs> I'm less young, maybe, well, I'm still very young, but still, you know, I'm not sure if it's a mix of like age and also being a woman in tech or, but anyhow, I think it's a challenge that we, we face a lot. Also when like getting more into leadership roles, you still don't see, well, we start seeing more, more women in, in leadership roles in product, but I think we're still not exactly there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I identify with that a huge amount as well. Um, I mean, what, you know, have you learned about how you approach kind of establishing yourself in a new organization based on that? Is there anything that you do specifically when you're coming in to try and kind of establish who you are? Is there anything that you do differently based on your kind of encountering this in the past um, for other women in tech and women in product listening? I'm sure uh, any anything that you've learned would be useful for them to hear as well. Yeah, I think one of the main things for me is really mindset. You know, I think if these kind of situations happen and I think it will maybe still happen in the future, uh, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely, I think what's important is to know your worth and to trust yourself and um it's, it's really important to be able to build relationships, to, um, you know, be empathetic, to really understand what, what does success look like for, uh, for the company, what does success look like for each of the persons that you're working with. Um, and I think it's also important to, you know, some little self-promotion. <laughs> I think it's also, it's also good. Like sometimes we feel a bit like, oh, like I, I won't do that. It's not like, um, but actually I think it is, um, uh, of, of course, in a healthy way, just like sometimes, um, t- talking about your experience, um, or giving examples from your, what you've done in the past, or sometimes just putting out there, um, the achievements of your teams, um, I think all these is super important, but first of all, for me, it really starts from the mindset. Like, I think we are all equal, like uh, men and women are capable of doing amazing things and amazing things together. So I, for me, it's really, I, I know what I've done. I know I, what I can do. I know I can improve as well. I think it's, it's also, it's also about that, about being open to, to improve, but really about standing, standing really, you know, not, not getting caught. And sometimes we do have this kind of little voices in our head. It's like, oh my God, am I as an imposter here? Am I able to do this? And so on. It's really getting past that, you know, just taking a step back, thinking of who you are, of what are, what are you there to do and just go for it and do it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a really nice segue into kind of the, the new role that you're in because 
one of the things that I often speak with, you know, product leaders about is the fact that the, you know, whether you call it head of product or, you know, chief product officer, um, you know, that role in itself is often new. And I think that, you know, it's maybe, maybe they've had one, you know, person in those shoes before, right? Um, but it's not uncommon for many of the people I'm speaking to, to be actually the first hire in that executive space for this function. And I think one of the things that, you know, I've experienced is that the companies are looking to these product leaders to establish what product is and how product is going to help the business. And by being able to kind of fulfill that purpose, you're both demonstrating your own value and knowledge, right? Kind of going back to your mindset again, because you're anchored with, I'm Alexandra, I know a lot about my space, I can help us grow, um, while also fulfilling the the, the, the duty of the product. Um, so I, I think that's something that a lot of people are going to identify. So now let's fast forward. It's 12 years uh, later. You've been having an incredibly successful career in both public speaking on the topic of product and product theory and the product application. And then you've had a very successful run in consulting. What was it about Aircall um, that just kind of led to you to saying, "Hey, uh, I'm going to come back to the I'm going to come back to the applied product world and and take on this new challenge." Well, I think there were multiple things, but I would start with the product. Um, I think at the first, you know, when when you look at like, oh, it's like a cloud toughness system, uh, but when you actually look into it, it's fascinating. There, there are tons of possibilities there and a lot of like impact, very positive impact on the productivity of the companies. And it's connected to the tools that um, the, our users use every day with their CRMs or help desk or so on. And that that also opens up to a lot of extra value. Like our clients can actually get the connections to all their, their, their different systems that they're already working on today. And I think what, what was really passionate around the product for Airco as well is that they were, we already found a product market fit, but there's still so much to do. Like there's both a mix of just building up on what we have, but also a mix of innovation and all this in a very competitive space. So I think that that was one of the first things, like the product. The, the stage of the company was super exciting for me as well. I, I wanted to I wanted to go back, as you were saying, or on the commercial side, but I also wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I, I joined a company that is growing, that is thriving, that is really uh, also open to, to try new things, to uh, create new methodologies and, just adapting the, those processes, their methodologies and thinking how to scale and just with teams that are doubling every year and that are already pretty big. And I think that that was also a super, super exciting part for me. And the third one, which was also very important, was culture. I think especially on, on, when, on leadership roles, um, you need to identify with the culture of the company. And uh, I think that that was something that really... Um, attracted me and that I'm leaving every day like I, I think a month after I joined I was talking with our head of uh, HR and I was telling her look like everyone I talk to are, is generally so passionate so committed so professional this is really this is really a great experience to to be in and I think that's this value and people part is also key. Yeah, it's a huge one. Um, so what is the product leadership, you know, and setup like? Uh, you mentioned that you own product and you also own design. Um, so tell us about, you know, how do you, I guess, two-part question. Um, 
how is head of products uh, structured within the executive leadership team um, and the role that you play at Aircall? And then also, how are you setting up your function? I imagine you had a lot of things that you wanted to put into practice after helping so many other companies be successful. Um, talk to us about how you're approaching um, you're approaching this really exciting new new phase. Yes, definitely. So um, basically, at Aircall, as I was saying, as head of product, I manage all the product management and all the design teams. So basically, for all the products all over the world globally. And I um, actually report to uh, the CTPO, which is in, a, is in the executive committee. So definitely when I joined, the first one of the first challenges was really the team. How do we build a team? How do we structure the teams? And how do we think of the teams in terms of growth afterwards as well? So it was a big, big focus. So I, uh, I hired eight people in my first three months. So it was a pretty intense journey. Um, it's an interesting one as well because um, there's mix of onboarding and um, just having uh, enabling everyone to to be successful as soon as possible there were a lot of conversations uh, along the organization itself as well like um, depending on how the technical teams are organized and what we what are our ambitions for product as well like how do we uh, split the roles and that's all it's always a tricky part uh, how do we split the roles between um, teams? like between different product teams. Also, how do we split the roles in the collaboration with others, like marketing, product marketing, for example, or how do we how do we really work better with engineering, QA, and even product and design, even though um, I'm, I'm managing both, uh, both functions. So there, there was a lot around um, really how do we split this space and roles. Some things that I started implementing are, um, well, I'm, I'm very keen on road mapping and uh, creating, like for me, um, I don't want to see list of features and time and uh, fixed dates. Like I'm really keen on outcome-based roadmaps. So I um, started really um, communicating to the team and coaching the teams into how do we start with the problem? We think of the outcome or the value that we're bringing to our clients. And then we think of solutions and on what makes it a success or not. So I, uh, everyone in the team is now building these um, kind of um, outcome-based roadmaps. And from that, I'm now working more and more on how can we have a portfolio roadmap that shows a better view of what happens through, through, throughout product. We are working a lot on the process itself. Like we have a lot of dependencies. I think everyone has. And uh, it's really interesting because here we really have a lot. Like sometimes I have uh, eight teams working on one initiative, to get, one initiative together. So it's really a lot of coordination. And right now we are thinking about the processes that we want to put in place to create a better cohesion and to plan ahead in order to to actually be more effective in um, in the delivery afterwards. Also, an interesting I think an interesting balance is also um, the balance for um, sometimes tech debt or like all companies also have some uh, some legacy systems and uh, in new features on innovation and how do we you know how how do we think in terms of customer satisfaction like sometimes tech debt is actually a stopper or a blocker for for bringing new value to our customers so just taking the decision of not pushing that back and really tackling that upfront on some of the topics i think that's been that's been also uh, an important part 
great. So um, one of the things that you spoke about is how the different, you know, functions work together. I'm curious at Aircall, where does product start and stop, right? How do you guys think about the, the product customer journey that you own versus, you know, other pieces like maybe pre-sales or onboarding or, you know, post-sales, right? Um, how do you guys think about it and structure those relationships? That's a great question. I, I think at Aircall, where we were, putting the client really at the center, like we're like one of our values is customer obsession. So basically I would say that product is a bit everywhere. Like um, our, even from the very beginning of the, of the process, of course, sales will demos will already like client is already, already a little bit embarked. Then they do their, their trial and then they join. We do have, um, we do have business teams that help, of course, a lot with the product experience, even before that our clients use the product itself, like the, the sales, the pre-sales, the onboarding. So um, these teams help a lot with satisfaction. And even when the users start being a client and they, they actually use the product itself, uh, the customer support teams will be there for them to ensure that they have um, um, an optimal experience as well. And that the, we also listen to them. We understand what if they have the future needs and we make sure that they're satisfied. But I think in the product itself, for us, it's really, really important to understand um, our users and to really make sure that they have this ideal, um, well, hopefully ideal experience. So right now, for example, we are working on really defining really well the personas, the user personas in our product and uh, make sure that we um, actually fit experience for each of these uh, personas and this is also a tool that helps us in prioritization like it's I think first of all like helps empathizing and really knowing clients better but also in prioritization afterwards and in linking it with some parts of this more tactics of the of the strategy we're building excellent and at Product personas is an interesting one for sure. So in terms of coming up with those personas, did the, does the product team own the creation of those personas? Is it a joint, you know, is it a cross-functional creation process? How did they, you know, how did your personas come to be, right, at Aircall? That's a great question. I, definitely, it is definitely a co-creation because uh, we are not the only ones that have the knowledge. And actually, most of the times, our internal teams, uh, business teams, have way more knowledge than than we have. Especially as my team is, um, it's somehow pretty new as well, like with the new joiners. So it was owned by us. Basically, uh, the design manager and one of the product managers in my team were were leading this, but they organized a series of workshops with um, with the onboarding team, the sales teams, the customer support teams, and they've built the first product personas based on, on these. Of course, um, we couldn't have um, a lot of people in, in the workshop and they refined, actually, once they had the first version of personas, they refined it with some extra people from business and from ex with extra information, like qualitative information that we had. And the next step, like once we've had this, is to run the data and try to complement this personas with the data. So we, this was, this is an interesting one um, because most of the times we just stop the product personas. Um, I think the, the data is really like we're, we're doing this right now, and I think it's some it's really helpful to put even more perspective and to and to give more more insights into it. 
And I know in some cases, um, a next step would be to actually um, like run it also through like client interviews and um, and dig even deeper into it. I think for us, for now, it's it's already a great step to have these. And I think running the data and then kind of enriching them a little bit, little in time, it will it will be great. I think something that it's also important is to make sure they're coherent with buyer personas, for example. So that was an initiative that was driven by our marketing department. So we already have those buyer personas. And in some cases, our users are buyers. In some cases, like not all of the buyers are users as well. So it's important to have both, but it's also important to have a coherence whenever the, um, the buyer is also a user. We're not only always going to look at the same things, Whenever you're a buyer or, or a user in your behaviors or motivations, for example, but it's um, it's still super important to collaborate with marketing in in um, in making sure they're coherent and communicating Absolutely. even company wise, like um, the buyer personas represented company wise. We're going to do the same with um, with the user personas. I think that's something that's helpful for everyone, especially in organizations that are very customer focused. Absolutely. Well, and especially because, you know, especially in B2B businesses, right, the user is a heavy influencer to the buyer often. So if you're not understanding the relationship, right, and how to allow the user and the buyer to know each other's language and speak each other's language, it's really hard for your offer to to be compelling to the entire buy cycle. So, well, Alexander, this has been amazing. I can't believe it, but we've had an hour almost go by. So I'm going to ask the last question that we always say for the end of the show. Um, if there was a museum dedicated to the world's best products, first of all, I would be going there all the time. And you being in, you being in France, you're in the home of so many amazing museums. Um, so tell me, uh, if this museum existed, what products would be on, uh, on display, um, and why? This is such a fascinating question. It gets me thinking, but I think I would be there all the time in this museum as well. <laughs> it's, um... Okay, so I think my first one, the first one that came to mind for me, it was really phones. Well, maybe I'm biased because I, my, my current product is, is a phone, but I think phones changed so much the way we we just live today. Like if we think at a personal level, I can barely imagine how when I was a kid, we were only having landlines and how could people actually find their way to the city or actually get to their rendezvous if they're late or so on. Okay, I think that's where you realize the impact that the product had when you can't even imagine the world before before that, um, that product existed. Um, I also, I'm also thinking at um, products like the the cloud um, the cloud phones and and like call for example, I think it's it's such a big impact on how this changes businesses and productivity as well. So I think it's it's interesting because phones had such an impact in different ways on the whole society as us as persons as businesses and. Um, and I would definitely see um, phone. I don't know if it's an old one or a new one, but I definitely see kind of the history of a phone uh, in that museum. Fantastic. Um, I, I'm right there with you as a knowingly addicted person to my phone. And, you know, um, I think all of us have that that love-hate relationship with them. So I think that's an excellent one to have. It's had humongous changes and impacts on our society. Any others uh, that came to mind that you would want to see there? Definitely. Uh, another one, which is very different from the phones, it, it's the birth control pill. 
I think it's been it's been a very very huge um, advancements just like for for women being able to control what happens to their bodies and uh, even though like I'm usually not you know advertising anything for for my pharmaceuticals and so on I think this one is really it's it's really um, fundamental one for our society and uh, I definitely I definitely see it there. Yeah, that's I don't know if you've read um, Melinda Gates book uh, moment of lift it came out probably two years ago but um it it's its central premise is that when you allow women to make choices about when and how to produce um how much better the relationship is between all these other key performance uh, attributes of society around the world and it was a a huge um realization for me on something that you know I'd kind of taken for granted myself of what a role that plays so good call out on that <laughs> anything else that we should see in there on display getting its uh, its due praise my, my third one is it's again a very different one and maybe a biased one but I'm very passionate by dancing like I I have done some shows and I've been teaching dances in the past and uh, I would say dance shoes like until we don't get into this like we might not know but actually it's just the design the the tissue the way uh like the way they, they've built it's like a completely like different product like at the beginning you know I, I was like oh I can dance with anything but actually I think um that's a pretty amazing uh product in itself like that's a derivation of something we we use every day and I think it's a mix of design comfortable but also pretty like for me it's it's magic <laughs> I need some magic shoes because I can't dance to save my life so if you find me some dancing shoes that can make me keep rhythm I would be willing to put those shoes in the museum <laughs> oh that's a, that's a good one technology and shoes maybe you have like oh you're giving next, me a, <laughs> next year we'll do a follow-up on this and you can tell us where you've gone with your thinking on tech enabled dancing <laughs> shoes <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> okay well it's been such a pleasure having you and I know how busy you are especially at this time with air call growing so quickly. Um, thank you for spending the time with us today and sharing of both your passion and uh, your, your history of practice um, with product. Thank you so much, Diana. This has been such a great moment. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the product-led audience. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart, the product.